We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. Oh, boy. We are back. Courtside with Christy and Gabe on the Her Hoop Steps Podcast Network. And we are in the midst of an historical WNBA semifinals with four teams in the final four in the running for a WNBA championship. And I am joined, as always, by my guy, Gabe Ibrahim. I am Christy Winter Scott, and we are here to chop it up about the WNBA semifinals. And Gabe, oh my gosh, I, I had to relive the Chicago-Connecticut yeah. game because it was just full of drama from the tip to the final buzzer. It was one of the most incredible games we've seen. Um, it was one, it's been one of those series, right? Like every year I think we get one series, and it usually involves Connecticut where it's it just tight. Every game's tight. Every team is decently well-played. Every game has moments at the end where you're questioning a coach or a player or something. But really, this is what basketball is all about, right? Like, you play the game because of these moments and big-time players show up. Sometimes it doesn't go your way. Sometimes it does. For Chicago, it's been going their way more than not. Um, but I don't, think, you know, I don't think we have time to waste with like social stuff or social media, anything on the Her Hoop Stats podcast network. Let's get into it, Christy. Like, how did this guy pull this off? Because I really didn't at any point see see it coming how it did at the end of the game. Well, they accelerated, right? In terms yeah. of their offensive production, quarter by quarter, Chicago just found a way to manufacture offense against a stout Connecticut defense. I mean, this is one of the better or best mm -hmm. defensive teams in the league, third in steals. I mean, they were just incredible coming out of the regular season in that regard, which is why they have the number one seed. But when you look at what Chicago was able to do, only 17 points in that first quarter and then 20. 
and then 23 and then 26. I mean, that is mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. I mean, they progressively made it happen. They got to the glass. And I think the board work was the X factor in this game for the Chicago sky because they could get it and go. That, that was crazy to me. The, the boards, like they won the battle on the boards against this Connecticut sun team. Yeah. I, that's, that's, that's crazy. Cause this is one of the better uh, rebounding teams we've ever seen, but it's also crazy. Cause you know, the personnel, when you look at it, it doesn't necessarily suggest that Chicago would be able to gain that advantage. Uh, and I want to shout out, I, we, we should get into like the last five minutes because I think that's crucial. But <laughs> I want to shout out Azari Stevens, plus 16 in 31, in uh, sorry, in 36 minutes. So she played 36 minutes, plus 16, and the team won by two points. So she was a huge factor, seven offensive rebounds, 11 total rebounds. She mm-hmm. was all over the place. I think Azare was really a huge difference in this game. And just that matchup, Chicago winning that matchup has given them a huge boost here because she's taken out Brianna Jones. She's covered John Cole Jones when she needed. So having an Azare that is fully healthy and fully prepared for this moment, I think has been one of the biggest differences before we get even to the end of the game, which is where Chicago is winning. I mean, no question. Stevens has just been phenomenal. Her versatility is has just been what Chicago has needed. I mean, it takes a lot of pressure off Candace Parker in that regard defensively, although she has been magnificent yeah. with yeah, the double-double in, in game three as well. But when you're looking at Chicago, when you're talking about taking pressure off of players, how about Kalia Copper taking pressure off of Allie Quigley mm-hmm. being – another score for them. I mean, 26 points, a career playoff high for Copper. She has just been spectacular with what she has been able to do to lift this team. And you're talking about a two or three point game at the end. And you look at what Copper did throughout the contest, not just on the offensive end, obviously it was phenomenal, but on the defensive end as well. But a lot of pressure taken off of Allie Quigley in that regard just her ability to put pressure on the defense and against a team like Connecticut who led the league and field goal percentage defense points uh, permitted for opponents all throughout the regular season. But here she is going off in this game and really bringing the energy to the building for the Chicago sky. I mean, she was just outstanding and so much fun to watch. This was the vision. You know, I said this about, I think I said this about New York when we were talking about New York, like, when you see a team, they start to put it together and, and you start to see like, okay, this is what we thought was going to happen in free agency. This is the reason all of these players are on this team yeah. is so that they can play games like this where it's like, okay, the defense is selling out to stop an Allie Quigley, who still had a big game, mind you. You know, the defense is selling out to stop uh, Candace Parker rolling to the rim. The defense is selling out to shut down Cor- Courtney Vandersloot's passing lanes. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? You're leaving Kalia Copper open. Right. You're letting Azrae Stevens get to the glass. You're letting Diamond the Shields get out and run and, and hit transition buckets against steals and make huge plays. And she only played 11 minutes, but she had a big impact. So it's yeah. like this was the idea behind bringing Candace Parker here was this exact game to me. Yeah. Like this, this was the vision that James Wade had. And it came together beautifully. But really, though, like really, it, it was about those last five minutes. And that's what I want to talk about because – that, that's been the difference in this series, right? In game one, Chicago won those last five minutes. Mm-hmm. In, game, in game two, Connecticut made those last five minutes relevant by getting a, a, a little bit of a, of a lead there going in. And then they were able to execute enough, even though Chicago still won those minutes, by the way. 
Then you get to this game, and they dominated. They dominated the fourth quarter of this game. They went on a 15-2 run to take the lead. And it, it was just – you could tell there was a composure advantage for Chicago, which is surprising. It, it's surprising and not, right? Like, they have Courtney Vanderson and Candace Parker. But you look mm-hmm. at Connecticut. This team has been together for years. They've been in this exact situation together for, like, three years now. So, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to try to guess as to why Chicago had this amazing level of composure. Not just like, okay, they were composed and they made the plays. No, they showed up and answered the bell every single time. Like, is that all Candace Parker? Is that all coaching? Where do where you think that's coming from? Well, I think it's a little bit of both, obviously. Right. I think with Candace Parker on the floor, you give yourself a chance to win at a high level. And she's done it before and she's looking to do it again in her hometown. And When she won the championship in 2016, right, in L.A., she said that the X Factor in that game was or in that series to win it was board work. And when you're looking at this Connecticut team, Gabe, that had 20 missed shots in the first half alone and only one offensive rebound, that's controlling the glass. And it's not about the number. You know, you can look at the overall total. But again, it's all about percentage. And that's not a good enough percentage for Connecticut to win games. And you have to credit Chicago's grit and determination on the glass, especially in the five minutes at the end of that game. And when they just really took control of it, that 15 to two run was because they got stops mm-hmm. and stops for sure. Stops are rebounds. And so they didn't allow Connecticut to get second and third chance opportunities. They did a tremendous job of clogging the paint when it came to Brianna Jones, especially in that first half. Oh yeah. Um, she's yeah. averaging 15 points, and they really did a, a good job collapsing and not allowing her touches in there. But John Quill Jones said before the game, hey, the game is going to be won in the paint. And that's mm. not just scoring in the paint. That's board work in the paint. And Candace Parker, another double-double for her. Just phenomenal. I mean, what a storybook this would be if Chicago advances and she has an opportunity to win another championship for the hometown team. Yes, it's Candace Parker, but it's a collective effort Sloop got going that second half as well, made plays down the stretch. And Kalia Copper, I mean, there's a reason why this team is third best in the league in scoring. It's because they push tempo, but they get it off the glass and do that, right? They get the stops, and now they can push and have that momentum, and that's what got them over the hump in a one-possession victory. For sure. And this, and, and and you're right. It's not just Candace Parker. I like talking about Candace Parker because <laughs> the things she does are very interesting to me. I yeah. think what she's done in this series. And look, maybe I'm giving her too much credit. But I said this on I said this on uh, the last show we did. Like she's just making people see ghosts. She's making people chase chase rabbits and and go down paths that aren't where they should be going. Like there's times where she just kind of there, you know, a guard, let's bring in January, is coming down the lane. And yeah. she just kind of leans over to to her assignment or to the basket to influence the way the guard's going. And then the guard makes the wrong decision based on that. And she's either there to block the shot, get the yeah. steal, come recover to the big that she's passing to. Unbelievable defensively. But I the one play I really want to point out from this game that I think mm-hmm. won Chicago the game was when Candace Parker gets a steal. There's a, a salute gets the ball to Azrae Stevens. Azrae Stevens has a wide open yes. layup. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Nowhere. LeBron-esque. LeBron-esque play. Giannis-esque play. John Cole Jones falls from the rafters, gets this massive block. You finally feel like, okay, Connecticut can hold this lead. Because they Chicago had not yet gotten the lead. 
Right. So you're thinking Connecticut can hold this lead. Like that's a huge momentum play. They get the ball back. John Cole turns to go up the court. Guess who's there? Candace Parker. Candace Parker. Rips that ball away sure and, and passes it to Courtney Van Der Soup for a three. Then Chicago gets the lead on the next possession. And that to me was the moment mm-hmm. where I was like, the Chicago's winning this. Cause right. they had the, they out hustled them. Yep. They outworked them. They outsmarted them and they outplayed them. And they, and the last one is the, is the most minor part of that. Cause they didn't like, when you look at the stat sheet, they didn't mm-hmm. really outplay them by that much. Yeah. They won the turnover battle. Yeah. Yep. They won the, the rebounding battle. Mm-hmm. They got some more for, uh, fast break points, but you know, uh, Connecticut had 23 points off of turnovers. Connecticut had more points in the paint. Connecticut played a great, uh, not a great game, but definitely good enough to win. It was yeah. plays like that from Candace Partner, from Courtney Vandersloot, from Azri Stevens, from Kelly Copper, who just like, it gave you the those little spurts of energy when you needed it, when you needed it, when you needed it. And I think to me as a coach, like if I, if I was in your shoes, I'd be cutting this tape up of Candace <laughs> Parker running down the court after she yes. gets a steal and passes it for a layup to get back and make sure that that ball goes in the basket. Cause that's what won them the game. And even with that being said, Gabe, Connecticut had chances to win and it came down. You, you mentioned everything like out rebounded, out executed, out, out, you know, everything else. But when you are talking about out clutch playing, Chicago did that as well. And when you're talking about execution, a team like Connecticut, like we said, is third in the league and and steals after the regular season was completed. And they got that steal. Jasmine Thomas got that steal in a one point game and gets the steal and kicks it ahead to Breon January, who I think saw Kalia Copper coming on that right hand side and kind of tried to reverse it. And it just went straight up in the air and all is seeing goals. But I think because they hustled down and, and were disruptive defensively, that caused the miscue for Brian January. And I felt so bad for her in that moment because, I mean, she is a vet. She's played this game. She understands it. But it was just that one glitch of a decision um, in clutch time that it could have cost them the game. I mean, you don't want to say that that was the one play, but boy, if they had gone up one there, Chicago had to go back down the other end and answer somehow. So that to me was was an issue, but also the play of, of Candace Parker, like you said. I mean, when Alyssa Thomas had an opportunity to get a bucket down the stretch there to tie the game, she was right there to contest Alyssa Thomas on that left block. And not only that, she was able to corral that rebound and, and head to the line for the three-point um, separation there. And I think that was, that was a major play and a major turnaround, obviously with, with Breon January missing on that fast break kick ahead, but then also Candace Parker being disruptive with her board work, but also with her defense and coming from Tennessee, that's, that's Pat summit. Right. So, I mean, we're talking about coaches and it's, and it is her present coach and James Wade too, but at the same time, those seeds were planted long ago. And Candace Parker, defense and rebounding, those win championships. That's why she was able to win two at Tennessee. And that was just taught to her and implored by Pat Summit day after day in practice. So now as a pro, Candace Parker is, is really flourishing and really seeing that come to fruition. And that's why they have a 2-1 lead in this series. Yeah, at age 39, still still freaking blood. And you could hear, like I could hear in my head, like, you know, defense, 
Offense sells tickets, defense wins games, <laughs> rebounds win championships. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, to be honest. I thought the defense was really the, the reason why <laughs> Chicago won, but it, p- rebounding is part of defense. There it is. Rebounding is part of defense. You can't, you key. have to get off. The, the way I like to say it, because I'm, I'm a football guy, I grew up with football, is like, you got to get off the field if you're the defense. You yeah. got to get, yeah. you got to get away, stop being on defense. That's the point of being of playing defense is to stop playing defense. And Chicago did that better. Um, the thing, I'll, so I did want to talk about the guard play from Connecticut. You mentioned Brian January, missed mm-hmm. layup, obviously poor decision, um, heard footsteps a little, just that lack of composure. And I think that's what you saw from yeah. Connecticut's whole team. Um, and that happens. Hey, look, this is a playoffs. This is a, a game of interest. We saw this in 2019 in the finals. We, we were up close watching Connecticut. Uh, play Washington and they had games like this where it was like one game they would you know play great they would dominate and they would win in the clutch and then the next game they would falter in the clutch with these types of with with these types of errors so you know I I don't think they're done by any means I imagine they're gonna come back but I am concerned about these guards and just the perimeter attack of Connecticut because it it didn't like yes you know Dewana Bonner seven of eleven uh, Alyssa Thomas, 8 of 15, and we have to talk more about Alyssa Thomas, but Jasmine Thomas, 2 of 10, 3 of 5 from Brian January. That's not enough from those players. They're not getting into the lanes. And more importantly, the pressure from Chicago is causing them to turn the ball over before they can even get to their superstars down low. Uh, do you have solutions here for Connecticut's backcourt? I just think they just need to be poised. They need to be patient, and yes. they, they can't say, okay, now we're in an elimination game right in game mm-hmm. four coming up they can't say to themselves all right give it to me and get out of the way they have to continue to utilize one another on the offensive end and i think you know I, and i'm not trying to do a conspiracy theory however <laughs> my my thought in watching that game and then kind of marinating after watching it yes it's wonderful to have Alyssa thomas back i mean she had 18 uh-huh. points <laughs> And, you know, the other games she had more than 15, you know, in the last two games. Okay, which is great. And you love to see it. And wow, she had an Achilles tear in January in the Czech Republic in practice. And now she's back. But Connecticut was rolling, rumbling through the WNBA in terms of their chemistry, developing and gaining momentum, leading them to the playoffs. And it's great. And it's almost like, when you take a player away from a team, how it kind of changes the dynamic of that flow. But if you add a player like an Alyssa Thomas, who is so dominating, you put her back into that mix. And, you know, it's almost like a recipe. It's like, well, is that a little too much cayenne pepper? You know, and then ah, how do I get that out? And now you're trying to re- refigure the, you know, the chemistry out at this juncture is tough. And that you cannot and you're not going to take her back out because it's Alyssa Thomas and she's she's healthy and ready to play. So you're going to find a way to get her in the mix with the rest of the team. And I think on some level that has been a disruption in a negative way. And and, 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 and get, don't get me wrong. I love Alyssa Thomas. I love what Kurt Miller has been able to do mm-hmm. coach of the year. Mm-hmm. John Paul Jones, MVP for a reason. <laughs> Brian Jones, Brianna Jones, just right there, most improved player. But when it comes down to big picture, 
And what could be the issue? And that was your question to me. Could it be that Alyssa Thomas has changed the rhythm of their offense and they don't have time to get reps with it because now they're staring an elimination game in the face, in the mirror. You're looking back at yourself. We have one game to fix this. We got to win two in a row to advance. Um, it, yeah, you don't have practice time. They play mm-hmm. again in just a couple of days. What are you going to do about that? You have to figure it out on the fly. And that's what's you know so wonderful about watching and seeing if they can actually do that. But I think that's the key factor. I agree. And I told you so, <laughs> listener. I told you this would happen. When she came back from the Achilles there, I was like, I love Alyssa Thomas. But having that, adding that tool to the toolbox now is a little late in the game because it is mm-hmm. so hard to not just say, hey, AT, you're, she is the best perimeter creator on this team. Yep. By yep. a lot. By a lot, she's the best perimeter yep. creator on this team. So they need her. They do need her. But it's just that that chemistry, the rhythm, the timing, and just the fact that this player has not played all year. Like, you can't just put her in there. And look, 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 we, weren't, we didn't have a podcast to talk about her game two. Right. Incredible. Yeah. She was incredible uh-huh. in that game too. Plus 30. Plus 30 in a That's pretty close game. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. She was awesome. But the reason she was awesome to me mm-hmm. was because she wasn't, they weren't like forcing the ball down to her. She'd get a steal, she'd go. She she'd, you know, hang out in the dunker spot and then come in for dunk mm-hmm. or for uh rebounds, right? right. She'd hang out. You know, she'd hang out in the spaces and you let her, she's such a great player, such a smart player, understands the game so well that you just kind of let her go. And if you let her go, she'll figure out something good to do. What happened in this game is Kurt Miller just got a little, I think he got starry-eyed. That's his, you know, and I get it, right? I get it. That's the player who has taken you to heights that you did not think was possible with this franchise, right? Like that she's the player who's been there and done that for you. And you have to rely on that. But with this team, I think it was just a mistake. She had 36.4 uses percentage in this game, third highest of any player in the playoffs. It's just, it's it's a bit too much uh, of her. I think she played well, but they went to her late in the game. And I just think like, it, it, I understand the choices were bad. I probably would have gone with Dewana Bonner, although I criticized, you know, having DB in the action uh, in game one when they lost too. So I, I think Kurt... He had a decision to make. It, it turned out poorly, but it was just a bit too much of going to Alyssa Thomas. I think she she led the team in shots. Right. That has to be John Cole Jones's spot. John Cole Jones has to lead you in shots, and that's when you're going to win games. Like that's that's why how they won games all season is John Cole Jones leading them on on offense. And so I think um, you know perhaps putting uh, putting them in a pick and roll would have been better. Um, pick a pop. You know, try just just make um, Chicago. Reckon with John Paul Jones mm-hmm. in that play. Um, they didn't, and I understand. I understand why they didn't. I, I understand that the coverages for John Paul Jones were smothering, and the hedges that were coming out. If you brought Candace Parker into the action, were devastating to the offense and could have caused a turnover that would have lost you the game and, and you right. put it really put it away. So I get it, but it, it was. Um, it, it just, I just think Kurt got a little tunnel visioned. And you, and you don't want to do that as a coach. It's, it's tough not to do because you see a player and you're like, 
I die for this player. And I want to give them the ball when it counts for me because I trust them. But you also have to have to get that the widen your perspective a little bit here in the playoffs. So I, you know, I think it'll be okay though. I, I think Alyssa will be fine. I think next game her shots will come down, or she'll just have one of those Alyssa Thomas games, and we'll be sitting here talking about how great she is. Right. And and my question to you, I know you like to ask me the question, but I, I just do. have a question for you, just regarding uh, having Alyssa Thomas back. So. I mean, I've been reading some comments on social media, et cetera, et cetera, about how John Quill Jones has taken a step back because Alyssa Thomas has picked up her production. Do you see that as being an issue for Connecticut? Because John Quill Jones was named MVP because of her aggressive play, because of her versatility. And she can't sit back and, and just delegate offensive touches or offensive opportunities to Alyssa Thomas because now she's been inserted back into the lineup. But is that something that you see as being a factor in how John Quill Jones usage time has changed in the playoffs? For sure. For sure. No doubt about it. I mean, look, incorporating a player like Alyssa Thomas, regardless of John Quill Jones having a great season or having a terrible season is going to change what John Quill's do. Period. Just because of how much um, on how, how much of the ball Alyssa Thomas needs and a lot of her shots were taking what the defense gave. But yeah, I think it's what it's allowed Connecticut to do. And I think this is not a great thing is they don't have to force it down low to John Paul Jones. They don't have to force it to Brianna Jones. And those two players have tough assignments. They, the Chicago's deep, uh, front court defense is great. So it, it is tough to just say, say, hey, OK, throw it in there and you get us a bucket. And they had to force that during the regular season. And I think now in the playoffs, because AT is back, they can kind of say, hey, well, the path of least resistance is through Alyssa Thomas. Let's go through that. Mm-hmm. And that, and and that's not a bad thing. Look, it, hey, look, this could have worked out, right? This could have worked out very differently. And we're talking about, hey, Kurt Miller is a genius. Alyssa Thomas is, an, is, is a superstar, amazing. Just one of the best players we've ever seen in this league, right? Like right. a couple shots go your way and, we're, and the, the outcome's completely different. But it definitely has changed what John Quill Jones is doing. I think it's just changed the mindset of this Connecticut team saying that we don't necessarily need to force it to John Quill. In reality, you should force the ball to John Quill. John Quill should be your action. Make them send two or three people to her. That's, and that's, and we're go, we'll talk about Phoenix later, but that's what Phoenix is doing. Yep. Phoenix sees how dominant Brittany Griner is, and they're just like, okay, we're going to go to her anyways. She'll figure it out. John Quill will figure it out. Mm-hmm. If you let her, uh, I think Brianna Jones needs to figure it out a little bit more. That's the mm-hmm. player I'm more yeah. concerned about. But I think yeah. John Quill, if you just get her the ball and, and try to force it to her, she will figure out something good to do with it. But what do you think has been the, the your what's your opinion on that? Uh, you know, it, it's pretty interesting to me because you know you just said Brianna Jones needs to be assertive as well, and yeah. she didn't shoot one shot. She didn't attempt any shots in the first quarter of game three, Brianna Jones. So she needs to be uh, more in tune to get those touches, but credit Chicago's defense, as you were also talking about, but you have to pursue the touches. I mean, you can complain about not getting the ball or, you know, we as, as viewers can say, well, she needs touches, but they're not going to just come to her. She's got to manufacture those by her off ball movements, you know, setting some screens and not just trying to receive screens to get the ball. I mean, that can free you up as well, but she's got to be more active. Um, and getting those touches. And she also got in a little bit of foul trouble as well and had to come out off the floor. But I think with 
John Quill Jones, I think for her, you know, she can't shrink because now Alyssa Thomas is back. She needs to stay aggressive. I mean, she is the MVP, as I've said over and over today. She said the game will be won or lost inside. And initially in that game, she took that to heart and started attacking, had some really phenomenal moves in there, counteractions uh, with her footwork and, and so forth. But when you look at what Alyssa Thomas was able to do in game two, come off the bench and get a double-double, as a coach, you're kind of salivating like, well, that worked last game. Let's see if it will work again. So I get Kurt Miller's choice to go to her, just like you said as well. But at the same time, you have to think about what Chicago is thinking defensively. They're going to go to AT, right? Because she had that phenomenal double-double off the bench in game two. So yeah, they're going to go back to her in this play. But you have so many other weapons that could also be utilized down the stretch when you need a clutch bucket. And, you know, Parker did a tremendous job, as you said, defensively on that last play with AT getting that attempt. But I think for John Quill Jones, she just has to, you know, stay in her head. She was talking about, I need to, I needed to get out of my head, you know, cause she didn't play that well in, in game two, but no, stay in your head. But it's what you're saying that in that place <laughs> that is going to carry you and carry the team. Like, you can't say, well, Alyssa's got it. Go ahead, girl. Like, I'll get the next one. No, you got to say, give me the ball. Run this through me. Let's let's work together because they had a machine going. Yeah. You understand me, Gabe? Yeah, they yeah. had a machine going, and she was a key cog in that. And now there's some smoke coming out of the engine right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, I'm not I talking think- about AT being the engine. <laughs> I'm just saying. No. Like, Collectively as a group, they have a little struggle right the now. Thing, the thing you said is really true. Is like mm-hmm. you said, Brianna Jones needs to go get the ball. You know who does that? Alyssa Thomas. She does. Alyssa Thomas goes to get the ball. She. she it's not like she demands the possession. Mm-mm. She just always has the ball because mm-hmm. she's always in the right place. She's always she's always knowing where to be. She always sees a cut, and I think it, it goes back to the whole seeing ghost thing. Like this defense <laughs> is specifically tailored to to preventing some of the yeah. things that AT loves to do. They bait you into that. They let you come in and then they have all this length that's crashing on you at the rim. So it, I think they you you have to pull the reins back. So I'm not even sure Kurt Miller had a, some sort of um, affirmative decision to say, hey, we're going to AT yeah. a lot. AT is going to have a 36% use percent. I just think AT is going to get hurt, right? So it's like, if you run any more plays than what you did in that second game, she's just going to get a lot more. It adds on when you run plays for her. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't like take away from those other possessions where she's just doing smart basketball things and finding the ball. Exactly. So you got to, you got, they do have to force it. And I think that'll be key. And Brianna Jones, like you mentioned, she just has to be smarter. I mean, she ran into a few charges that were just laid right there by Chicago Shouts to Chicago. The 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 pick and roll rotations, the yes. hedges, yeah. that it it was incredible. I think Allie Quigley. I, I you know, there's so many times in my notes. I'm just like, how did Allie Quigley like get there? Because right. she was a person who would double um, yeah. in the post, so she would come down and be flying out from like the opposite corner to get a good double on the post, and then fly back to the opposite corner, fly back to a rotation. And they were just on that string. I think Chicago did such a great job with that, that they really confused Brianna Jones. 
And then this is the next step. We talked about her taking that next step in game one. Well, the, the final move is like, all right, teams have adjusted to you. Yeah. The, team, the teams have adjusted to you. What are you going to do now? This is your scout. How do you beat your own scout, Brown and Jones? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we're going to be looking for in game four. You want me, let's make a prediction. I'll, I'll go first. I'll go first since I know okay. you, you like to you like to waffle. <laughs> I like to uh, think. Well, let's make a pre- another way to put it. <laughs> let's put let's <laughs> let's, uh, let's do a game four. Just game four. Okay. Um, I think Connecticut wins. I think Connecticut wins. Uh, I think it's I think it's tough. I think it's tight, but I think they pull away with like eight minutes left. Uh, and they really slam the door shut. I think they win the rebounding battle. I think they get a lot more blocks, and I think they figure out a way to get John Quill Jones going a bit more, and they win game four and force a pivotal game five. Well, I think the sense of urgency is already in place, obviously, in an elimination yeah. game. So, uh, yes, I think that Connecticut will play with that sense of urgency. However, I think that Chicago has cracked the code. I think they have cracked the code defensively against this Connecticut team. I think it's going to be another close game like the last game and the game before that. I I think it's going to be um, interesting to see what Connecticut does to counter what they did wrong defensively in this game. And I think that will also be a key, but I'm still going with Chicago, but I am anxious to see, you were talking about screening actions and the coverages of those, that shot that Courtney Vandersloot got right in the, at the nail, almost like that Michael Jordan spot in the, in the game where he knocked that shot in um, at the end of his career. But that, that shot right there at the high post, there was a, a switching action there where Jasmine Thomas left her open and no one was there to, to show a hand or contest or there, it looked like there was no communication. And yes, things happen quickly, but they can't have those breakdowns. We're talking about a one possession game. You know, how many of those do you have per quarter and how many of those did you in in a one possession loss? So how does Connecticut respond? And we were talking about Alyssa Thomas and in the insertion of her into the mix of this team and the chemistry and everything. And we're talking specifically on the offensive side, but that's a defensive chemistry piece as well. You know, decisions are made on the defensive end because you know where your teammate is going to be. You know that the communication has taken place. You're on a string, like you said, but there can't be breakdowns like that. And for me, that's my biggest concern for Connecticut in terms of making that jump. Can you get that chemistry right when it counts to advance to a game five and uh, and close it out and advance to the finals? I mean, it remains to be seen for me, but I think Chicago has an advantage with that because, yes, they came out of the gates with injuries and this, you know, win-loss record was not what they wanted it to be because of it, but they picked up momentum and they have been doing well. And even at the end of the season, regular season, they were not playing at their best. No. But in these playoffs, they have been. In this series, they have been. And for me, I'm going with what have you done for me lately with the Chicago Sky and also on the other side of that, what have you done for me lately for Connecticut? And for me, yeah. I have a big question mark to how they're going to play defense and also their overall chemistry. But Chicago already has that in place. So I'm going to give them a slight edge to move forward to the finals in game four. Yeah, you know, I, I think those are all compelling points. I just don't want the series to end. I don't either. <laughs> you know, I don't like, either. Hey, well, really, though, it's like, OK, a couple different shots, right. a couple different calls. Right. It got one like you literally we're talking about like two or three moments in the game go the other way, yeah. and we're having a completely different discussion about 
how great Connecticut is. So I, I'm going with that feeling like, okay, they can, they can figure it out. But if it's close, look, if mm-hmm. it's close, mm-hmm. I'm going with Connecticut. This is one of the best clutch teams you've ever seen in WNBA playoff mm-hmm. history. Like this, this team is just getting it done when they need to every single game too against Minnesota. It wasn't, there wasn't a clutch time, but there was moments where Minnesota tried to get back in. They tried to get back in and uh, Chicago closed the door every single time. Closed the door, yeah. closed the door, closed the door. And it was, it's, it's, uh, it's really, really impressive how they've responded to every chance. And I think yes. that's, that's Candace Parker and that's Courtney Vandersloot. And those two players just knowing exactly what to do. Yeah. Um, okay, we should, we should leave. We, we have to leave a little time, though. For okay. I mean, that, I'm just so like overwhelmed with how awesome this series has been. So <laughs> I hope we get more chances to talk about Chicago. That's true. Too. Uh, okay. I, that's what I'm saying. Like we need a game five so we can come back on this podcast and talk about all the adjustments <laughs> that Kurt Miller made and why he's the coach of the year and, you know, mm-hmm. talk, say some good things about them. But there's not a lot of great things to say about the Las Vegas Aces right now. 87 to 60, 60. Six zero points for the Las Vegas Aces uh, against the Phoenix Mercury in game three on the verge of elimination. And Christy, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Brittany Griner. Uh, she's real good, as it turns out. As it turns out, she had uh, what she have? I don't even know how many points she had. She 18, had 18 11. points. Yeah. Yeah, 18 and 11. And then Brianna Turner, 23 and 17. 23.17 freaking rebounds, man. That's crazy. Can you tell me something about one of these picks? Listen, I'm going to go with, with Brianna Turner because. Let's do it. I, you know, early on, right, when we were starting to talk about these playoffs, who did I say was the X factor for Phoenix? Turner, right? I said, hey, listen, she doesn't get talked about enough, but boy, you take her off the floor and everything changes for Phoenix in terms of their intensity, their defensive rotations, obviously their board work, but 17 boards. Are you kidding me right now? That's work. I mean, that's not like they're, those didn't fall to her. That's grit. Like she was down in the mud. Like, excuse me. She did her work all game. And the fact that she was nine for 14 from the floor doesn't hurt. But let me tell you, those stops, I'll take those stops as a coach. Points are nice. I get it. I'll take those 17 boards any day. Right. And she also had two blocks and you're talking about grinders, 18 and 11. She also had three blocks. So, you you know, what's that 28 combined rebounds between just the two players right there. That's game set match with those two doing what they are able to do in the paint. And, and that's even with Scholar Dickens Smith, not playing at her best in terms of no. efficiency and she was two for 12, um, <laughs> but have five points, five rebounds, five assists and zero turnovers. So she, wasn't yeah. non-productive player for the team, but she just wasn't herself in terms of scoring 17 points per game like she was doing. But that that's a bad box score game. That's not that's not yeah. a bad game. That, that's one of the ones where it's like, exactly. okay, the coach looks at the box score and is like, oh, I don't think Skyler played that bad. And then you want to go back and watch the tape. And she played yeah. fine. She uh, did. Obviously you want 0 for 5 on threes. Yeah. Was, what's crazy? All right. So let me let me read you off some stats and I don't want to get back to where answer. But all right, this, this is what happened in this game. Phoenix became the first team ever in WNBA playoff history ever to win two straight games by 26 or more points. Mm. The 29-point the rebound margin between these teams is a WNBA playoff record, as is the 
58 total rebounds for the Phoenix Mercury. 58. I have it. I have it up here. 50. Right here. Oh, 58. 50. Oh, look at that. 50. Rebounds. <laughs> because it's nuts, man. That's crazy in a playoff game against a team right. that, you know, ostensibly what we, you know, what the the thought was right. like, hey, this is this front court can stand up to Phoenix. Like this is a good matchup in the front court. It ain't, y'all. It is not a good matchup. And uh, part Grit Griner does a lot, and I want to get into a little bit more specifics of what she does. But Brianna Turner, you said those rebounds didn't fall to her. The rebounds did kind of fall to her, and you want to know why? Because she was always in the right place, and that, my friends, is a skill. You guys have seen the 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 GIF of Dennis Robin going, you know, <laughs> doing his little silly things. He's right though; he's a crazy yeah. person, but he is correct. Like you know, knowing where that ball is going to come off, knowing yes. that your your player has shot this shot short a couple times, and then getting to that short spot for the rebound, mm-hmm. and then just she kind of like uh, I don't want to use another football thing, but you know, like the, it, when you're when you're trying to like block someone in football, one of the principles is like you let their momentum take them wherever they want to yes. go as long as it's near, not near the play. Right. She does that. Right. She does that. Like if, if Asia Wilson was going to the outside because she thought that rebound was going there and Brianna Turner knew it, was, it would come back inside, she just kind of push her off and then be in perfect position for the rebound. So yeah, those rebounds didn't necessarily like just fall her, but she had to just be in good position. And then they did. And that's like, I don't want to use cliches because it's super easy, right? <laughs> to just say, oh, this player hustles hard and like, oh, it's just, I don't understand that. But she really does just yeah. hustle. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, there's just hustle plays. There's plays where she falls down and she gets up mm-hmm. and the defense forgets about her. The defense forgets about her all the time because Brittany Griner's around. So she just kind of lies in wait. She understands the defense is eventually going to turn their eyes to Skylar Dinga-Smith, Diana Tarasi, Brittany Griner. Mm-hmm. And she's just going to drift to the basket and either get right. an offensive rebound or get a uh, easy basket at the rim. Her defensive rotations were good. I actually think this was actually not one of her best defensive games, although she did block Kelsey Plum from behind Asia yeah. Wilson. Yeah. And, like, I don't know if you guys know this, Asia Wilson's fairly large. She's she's quite a big person, and she just blocked someone right over the, over that player. So it's I, I think Brandon Turner out-hustled, out-worked, out-executed all of Vegas's bigs, and that's insane because Vegas's <laughs> bigs are both MVP Candidates, you know, she she yeah. was just so good at all times and just right in the right spot. That like that basketball cue thing we were talking about with Candace Parker mm-hmm. had it for Brianna uh, Brianna Turner, yeah. and it was it was incredible to watch. I'm glad she got the points and the rebounds to to show for it in the box score because a lot of times that doesn't show up in the box. It score. doesn't. It doesn't. Um, but good for her, man. I'm really, really happy that she had that game. And the other, you know, the other point I want to bring up is like I think she's kind of the perfect four next to um, Brittany Griner. And I remember a couple of years ago, we really thought they made a mistake because um, they picked Brianna Turner over Maisha Hines-Allen. Maisha Hines-Allen mm-hmm. last year was looking like this player who could shoot three, who could fit in well. And it's just like that. Okay. If an analytics guy is making that perfect four for Brittany right. Griner, it's probably Maisha Hines-Allen. In a basketball world though, where basketball matters, right? Mm-hmm. He, he, they, I think Brianna Turner is even better, even though she doesn't shoot, because she's just in that right place. 
She knows how to play the high-low game. She knows how to play the high part of it and the low part of it. She knows where to put the ball for Brittany Griner. She understands where to be on the rebound. She understands how to work off of her and be in the right spots near the rim. And that's such a better shot than just a three-pointer from your normal four. So that's right. why I think she's perfect. Um, I, I thought she was absolutely stunning in this game and she deserves a lot of applause and credit. Um, and then the other thing is like, Phoenix didn't play well. Like Phoenix did not play that well in this game. They won right. by 27. Right. You know, they shot 28.6% from three, 44% from the field is okay. Uh, they only got 13 foul shots. It's just, they dominated those boards and Brianna Turner was such a big part of it. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Brittany Griner? I, you know, I just, I just kind of want to tag on to what you were saying. Yeah, let's um, do it. Let's get back uh, to Brianna uh, Turner. Always. About Phoenix, you know, just because, you know, when you're talking about Turner, and uh, all of what she's able to do. I mean, she flies under the radar with her production on both sides of the floor. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, I mean, she can score in double figures. She's gotten double doubles. That's not a secret. And it's not just, oh, now all of a sudden, here's this player popping up out of a out of a can, you know, yep. like, boom, oh, here's Brianna. No, we've known about her. We just don't talk about her as much as she deserves to be talked about and, and her value to this team. And it's all the simplistics. It's all the simplicity of her game. I mean, she does all the little things that are understated. She's not flashy. And you were talking about um, she or Maisha Hines-Allen, two totally different players. I mean, right. apples and oranges, but both very, very good. But with Turner, I mean, she's taller. She has longer arms. She's more disruptive, I think, on the interior in terms of her defensive energy and, and ability to get to the glass. So I think, yes, that is a, a great compliment to, um, to Brittany Griner inside because of her length and her timing and her footwork on the defensive end. And when she scores, it's a cherry on top. I mean, you really want her on the floor for what she does on the defensive side and for what she does on the glass on both ends. So I, I just think that, you know, it, it needs to be talked about more. I mean, she has, um, you know, she's like the, if she were a cartoon character, she would have the glasses on and the, you know, and the, and the hoodie up and this kind of, walking through, but getting the job done. I mean, that's just how I see her with this team. I mean, she is, um, she has been the player that they have to have on the court. And if kids are listening to this, be that player. Like the coach can't keep you on the bench long because of all the other things that you do without the basketball in your hands necessarily. I mean, 80% of the time on the court, you're not going to have the ball. So how else are you impacting the game? And the 20% of the time is great when you do have it on a rebound or you're scoring or whatever. But what kind of screens are you setting? Because Turner can set some great screens. What kind of passes are you making? She can make some great plays too, you know, down a grinder in a high-low situation. So, you know, be that player for your coach. They can't take you off the court because of your value and what you're doing and in terms of your efficient production for a team victories and on and on. And I, I just think that, that that's the, the biggest key for Phoenix moving forward is to, you know, have her on the floor as much as possible because without her, I think they're, they're just a totally different squad. Well, and, and she's a player that a coach can never yell at, right? I'm sure you love this. Like, oh yeah. Like she's always in the right about. spot. I would love that. You know, Hey, maybe something <laughs> she misses, she misses shots sometimes. Like she misses, she misses layups. She yeah, doesn't man. go up fast enough sometimes, but it's like, I'll yeah. live with that if you're always in the right spot and always doing the things that our team needs to win. And, and, and I know we're being cliche about this player. And it's not because she's just like 
a non-star player who had a big game. So we're trying to figure out how to explain it. Like, Not like that. They, it's literally what she does. Like that is her whole game is figuring out those spots mm-hmm. where she needs to be so that um, her, her star teammates can get her the ball. And she said as much after the game. And it may just seem like, I don't think Brianna Turner really cares about what she says to the media. Like she's just going to, a little bit like Latoya Sanders, but she's just going <laughs> to say whatever is on her mind. And so I think Holly Rowe asked her after the game, like, what'd you do well? She's like, well, I got in good spots and my teammates got me the ball. And it's like, yeah, okay, like that's a that's an easy way to brush off the question. <laughs> it's also true. It's, it's also true. Like, yeah, it's like a pin in it. I mean, that's but exactly I, what it is. But mm-hmm. her and Brittany Griner have created just no fly zone at the rim right. uh, in these playoffs. Okay, so Vegas is shooting sixty four percent on shots uh, at less than five feet from the basket, which is actually second best in the playoffs behind Phoenix, which gives you a sense of the problems. Um, however. Vegas, least shots at less than five feet from the basket in these playoffs, only 15 a game. That's six lower than Minnesota. Obviously, only Minnesota only played one game. That's right. six lower than the next best team because they can't get there. Right. right. You can't get there. You want to know why? Because there's a massive seven-footer most of the time, Brittany Griner standing right there. Yeah. And then she's not there because you've successfully pulled her out of the play. Rihanna Turner's go-go gadget arms are right there blocking Right there. So they've, they've created a deterrent and then they forced uh, Vegas to take those shots that are five to nine feet from the basket, those right. paint shots that are just a little bit further away, which they love and they're only shooting 41%. You want to know why? Because there's two massive sets of arms right in front of you, <laughs> blocking you every single time. It's impossible to get a shot. Right. I don't know what Vegas can do at all about Brittany Griner because they like to play close to the rim. And if you bring Brittany Griner close to the rim, you cannot score there. No, you can't. It doesn't happen. Right. So I, I don't know. Do you have any, do you have any ideas here for Vegas to, to combat that? Well, I think you also need to ask this question to Dawn Staley because she was also wondering the same thing um, after yeah. the game three where Phoenix just totally obliterated uh, Vegas in this contest and Asia Wilson, who obviously played at South Carolina for Dawn Staley. I mean, she was held to two of 14 shooting from the floor and that is on Asia Wilson. Like obviously um, she got to the free throw line forward four of six from the line. She had eight points gave and, and six boards. So, I mean, there was, there was disruption obviously there for her. And how do you get, a player like Brittany Griner out of the mix, you get her in pick and roll situations. You get them to, I don't know if they're going to pull them off the, off the lane and get Asia Wilson off the blocks because that's a comfort zone defensively for Phoenix for both Turner and Griner. So maybe try to spread them out a little bit more and try to utilize, you know, Asia Wilson as a face-up player instead of back to the basket player and get her in some screening actions where she can get downhill and get to the rim without Griner being in there. Or if she does commit over, if Turner commits over it, now you have Cambage on the other block who can sink in and now you can dime that off and, and get a, get a play inside. So I, I just think that it's, it's gotta be something where they can spread Phoenix out and, and try to get Griner out of the paint that way. And, and get her in some screening actions. I mean, with with Asia Wilson and her free throws, uh, her free throw percentage going way up this year in particular, I think you've got to get her the ball. And it's not like she didn't get touches. I mean, she had 14 touches, you know, where she was in position to attempt to shoot it, um, but she only got two of them in. So for me, um, I don't know 
the exact answer, but my guess would be to spread the floor a little bit more to allow um, more space for her to operate, number one, offensively. So it's harder to double down on her or to pinch over on her up the line on the weak side. But I just think she also has to stay active as well. And that's not a, a slight on her. She's not settling for, hey, this is how they're covering me. Still try to get it down here and kind of, you know, spinning your wheels in the mud with it. But there's got to be, you got to do something else. Like that's not working well for you right now or didn't last game. So you can't go back into game four doing the same thing, hoping that, well, maybe this game, this will work. No, Phoenix has done a, a really tremendous job at jamming that painted area and not just for shots being attempted, but touches coming in there at all. Right. And so you have to also credit the guards that way defensively, you know, Shea Petty came in off the bench for Phoenix and had 10 points. Yes, but she's, she's very disruptive defensively. Right. So she's, she's going to not allow the passes to go in to the post. So yes, it's post defense for Phoenix that has been disruptive against Vegas, but it's also been the guards who are really putting a lot of pressure on the ball that's trying to get there from the perimeter to the post. So uh, I, I just think you have to spread them out, really make Phoenix work hard off the ball defensively. And, you know, maybe a five out situation where there are hard cuts moving and cutting and, and getting Asia Wilson touches on dives and slice cuts and things like that. Those kinds of actions may fit the bill. I like that. No, I think, I think you have a good point. I mean, first and foremost, Asia Wilson will be better. The, this is one yeah. of those games. It happens, you know, two for 14. That That's not happening again. That's, I'm sorry. Hey, I'd be surprised if she doesn't come back out next game and have a big game. I'd be, that would be what I'm surprised about more than if she doesn't have another bad game. Because it's not, those opportunities for those dumps, they were there. Yes. They were there. She, yeah. she had them. It, bringing, it just, she was afraid of the big long arm. She was pressing because they needed this win. They got their butts kicked in the last game. Mm-hmm. So it was really early on she got in her head. Um, and she, she was just really out of sorts. She missed those little, those little pocket passes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, so I think she'll be better. She also missed some easy shots. She'll, she'll be better. I have no doubt about it. My problem is, is like, okay, so that I think the structure that you're proposing of five out movement, all that, that's, that's great and wonderful. I don't think it, the aces do that. The aces don't do that. They get most of that movement coming out in transition. Right. And transition don't work that much if the Phoenix Mercury are going to come out and hit their first like 15 shots every game. Like it's not going to work. You can't do a sure. transition if they're going to make every single shot. Right. So they, they do have to figure out a way to get some more movement in the offense. Um, I mean, if you want to point at one person in particular, Liz Cambage has to be better. Liz Cambage has to you know, yeah. be in better shape. I, and it's not her fault right now because she had COVID and, you know, she had COVID right before the playoffs. So mm-hmm. she's just not in game shape. Um, but I think she hurt them. I think Kia Stokes also hurt them. So it's not like you can take um, you can't take Liz Cambage off the floor. You need her right. out there. She Absolutely. just needs to mm-hmm. figure out a way to dig deep and get down the floor and be a little bit more assertive down there. I mean, it's not easy when you got pretty grinding on you. But if you want to point to one person, but I'm with you, I think they just need a lot more movement. They need to start questioning who they are as a basketball team. They yeah. need to go, they need to figure out something new. And I know it's tough to say that now mm-hmm. in game four of the playoffs, but right now, Bill, if you got different sets, if you got different anything, it's the time to use them because this team right. needs to change what they have been doing this year for this particular series. And this is what right. great teams do, right? Great teams figure out different things to do in the playoffs. 
Yep. They, they question what they've been doing all year and saying, is this going to work in this particular situation? If it's not, they're going to change it. That's what Chicago's done. That's what Connecticut did in that game, too. That's what you go back to 2019 with, with uh, Coach Tebow, like he did that, too. Yeah. So at some point, you're going to have to question what you've been doing and understand that, hey, if it's not working, we got to change everything. So right. they're going to have to change a lot. Yeah, um, no question. And also just like, I don't know, you need someone from the backcourt. Like they got a great game in that game one from uh, Kelsey Plum and Raquana Williams. And those two in this game were five of 17. Chelsea right. Gray, two of nine. And right. that's, hey, that's good defense by the uh, by the Mercury. And they played great and they created that no-fly zone. But that's why you got to shoot threes. Or at least long twos, Gabe, because, you know, I was just looking at that. Yeah, sure. and, and like Kelsey Plum, two of 10 and, and Gray, two of nine. That can't be the case. And Plum was over four from three. So, yes, you, you've got to be able to stretch the floor offensively. Like it can't just be pound the ball inside. But you also have to make those shots. It's not just, okay, we're going to take these shots. We're going to take them. And they took them. I mean, Plum and Gray combined for four of 19. They're taking shots. <laughs> They've got to knock them in. And quite simply, they have to, you know, manufacture some offense outside, which is going to relieve the pressure on Cambage and Wilson on the interior. If those shots don't fall, then they're like, oh, okay, now we can really sink in and, and not allow touches on the interior because they're not making shots outside. So we'll give that up because, you know, we're not losing anything by giving those shots up because they're not going in for them. But what we're not going to do is, is allow Cam Beige and Wilson to go off. And I think that's what that game presented for Phoenix defensively. And every game is different. You know, maybe next game, those shots are going to be falling for Raquana Williams again as well. But right now in game three, that's the gamble that Phoenix took defensively and they won because of Vegas's lack of ability to knock in outside shots. And that, again, will, will provide some uh, pressure release for their post players. And, I mean, that's it's basketball 101, right? If the guards are, are doing – it's a balance. If their guards are doing what they are capable of doing, uh, you know, uh, looking at their stats uh, from the year, they're capable scorers from out there. So let's not say, well, all of a sudden now you have to become these outside shooters. No, you are capable. You just didn't knock them in in game three, right? So now you've got to come in and, and you got to bring your A game. It's an elimination game for them now too. And now you've got to come in and just ball out. Like there's no, there are no excuses left after this game. If you don't get it done and you don't play up to your capabilities, no more excuses. Like this is it. Here's your chance. You want to advance to the finals. You have to win two more games in a row. Bill Lambert has been there as a coach, as a player. Every, he understands that too. So now, okay, how disappointing would that be if they can't manufacture the offense, the offensive balance, I think, that, that was missing in game three? I mean, how disappointing would that be for this Vegas team? None. It would, and like I mentioned, like Phoenix didn't play well. Phoenix did not play well, and you got blown out. Yeah. Blown out. Yeah. So, I mean, look, if, if Brittany Griner is playing this way, and if Diane, if Diane Taurasi or Skylar Diggins-Smith has a good game yeah. in this one, or yeah. there's, I mean, it's like a 40 point game, right? So yeah. I think that's true. Scott, in the next game, you're going to get one. Hey, it's Scott and Smith and Diana Tarasi, man. You want to keep gambling that they're going to have a bad game. So I think, yeah. I don't, I don't know. So here I have a couple proposed changes 
okay. for Vegas. Let me know what you think of them. All right. So I think they found some success with the small ball and just saying, okay, Brittany Griner is going to eat. Let her eat. Let, let her eat all she wants. And mm-hmm. then hopefully we can figure out a way to out efficiency her on the other end. So perhaps one of my proposed changes would be going small, Asia at center, Derica at the four, um, and, and, and then the rest of their starting lineup, Gray, Williams, Young. Um, and I think that would be okay because then you can try to limit those guards. And I, I think Vegas's guards actually did a decent job. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all just Skyler and Diana not having good no. games. Like Those Vegas guards did a decent enough job stopping them. But I, I would say going small would be one idea just to say, hey, we're not going to out-defense you, so we're going to have mm-hmm. to out-offense you and get out on the break. So that's one proposed change, bring in Hanby for Cambage. The other proposed change would bring in Kelsey Plum as a starter because uh, what's happened in these games is Phoenix just comes out and punches Vegas in the mouth in the first five minutes. They go up in this game 12 and the last game by a bunch. They just punch them in the mouth, and then they the game's over by the end of the second quarter. So I think starting Kelsey Plum, who has been pushing the ball and getting out of transition, gives you more than her defensive flaws, which is a yeah. similar thing on offense. Sorry, it gives you more on offense than her, what she takes away on defense. Right. So that would be my two things is like get Plum and Hamby starting so you don't get punched in the mouth, and you can at least try to score with them. Because at this point, I'm not sure you're stopping this team, so maybe your, your strategy changes to – Let's get out on the break. Let's try to outscore them, and let's try to get to a game five and figure it out then. So right. what do you think of those two proposed changes? I, I love that. I love that. I think pace is always uh, a key, you know, and you can yeah. uh, get out and, and get the stops necessary to play that way. You know, everyone wants to play that way. It sounds good conceptually, but guess what? you got to buckle down and play some defense. you got to get the glass work done. you got to deny well, you got to be in shape. Yeah, and you have you to be in, in great shape. So – I mean, guess what's not going to happen for Vegas, though? Guess what's not going to happen? Angel McCautry is not walking through that door. And unfortunately for them, she's not. Because I think she would be so great in this mix of players that they have this year with Plum back and and so forth and so on. But they're going to have to find a way to find that kind of grit, that kind of competitive fire that an Angel McCautry would bring to the table at this juncture of the playoffs at this brink of elimination, they need to find that sense of urgency that a player like Angel McCautry um, would bring to the floor. And I know she's telling them that in practices and on the bench and so forth, but it's, it's a different deal when that kind of player is not on the court. So with Phoenix, like you said, with Skylar Diggins-Smith and Diana Taurasi now playing at their best with, where they combined five of 21 in the game. Uh, I mean, that was not their best. Uh, absolutely not um, like Diana Taurasi's stellar performance of the 37 points. Uh, I mean, she was oh, we haven't talked about that. Ridiculous. No, let's do that because I mean, okay. it's Diana Taurasi and my God, I mean, uh, I just, I, I can't, I mean, she's the goat. I mean, I'd love Tamika Catchings who was up there for me too. Um, Cynthia Cooper and, and swoops and all the babies. I, it's hard to decide, but the fact that Tarasi has been able to do it for as long as she has done it at this level of, of iconic efficiency and, and competitiveness, man, I don't know. That, that's going to be hard not to give her the goat of all time. Like, how do you not give it to her? Mm, this is an interesting discussion because I'm not giving it to her. Um, 
I mean, I love Diana and she is certainly one of the greatest. And and to me, like I always think of this in like a tier. So like you have, you have your, you know, your, your tier one of people who could be the GOAT. She's clearly in that tier with all yeah. those players you mentioned. Yeah. Um, we'll have the, the GOAT discussion at a different point. Yeah, we have to but do a question, full GOAT pod. Yeah, you know, I have to do a lot of research for that. That's why I haven't done yeah. it yet. It's just like, True. it's so yeah. much. It's a lot. Um, it's a lot. But the, the thing I want to ask you is, was that Diana Taurasi's best game or like best playoff game, at least in her career? Oh, man. You know, like you just said, I need to do more research. But I mean, from the eye test, watching that game, I was in awe. And I will, you know what? I'm going to go and say, without looking at the stats or any videos and all this other stuff, I'm going to say yes because of her age and her, her, her experience level. And, and, and no slight, because Diana knows I love her. So there's not like, I'm not, there's no ageism right here coming from me, clearly. But I'm going to go with this game, yes, being her best playoff performance ever. And I don't care if she did this as a rookie or as a vet that she is right now, yeah. just five gold medals. Man, I'm going with this game. Yes, this is the best Diana Taurasi performance in the playoffs that I have ever seen, mainly because she is who she is right now today, uh, almost 40 years old out here dominating these fresh out of college babies and yeah. getting the job done and advancing her team um, to uh, an elimination game against Vegas. I, hey, man, I'm giving it to her. That Diana, I, that's all you. That's all you. My favorite part of it was they had Kelsey Plum on the broadcast talking about how much she <laughs> idolized yeah. uh, uh, Diana Taurasi yes. and how much she looked up to her. And like, mm-hmm. as she is talking, like Diana Taurasi is on screen giving her buckets. Yeah. And that's like, you know, it, it's just one of those legend moments. And she yeah. is, she she is a legend. I, but I'm with you. I think it's the best. And I think Sandy Brondello kind of a, uh, like hinted at that, that she thought it was one of her best ever because she said, I've never seen Diana do something like this. Yeah. Old. Diana's old. I'm sure Diana would tell you she's old. She's 39. Mature. For, she's vintage. Sure. <laughs> she's old. 39 years old. Bum ankle. Yeah. An ankle that kept her out for yeah. a lot of the end of the season and almost and kept her out of the first playoff game of these playoffs. So has a bum ankle. Yeah. Playing against these youngins and the stakes. The stakes of this of that game. Yeah. It was a blowout. But just a lot was on the line there, right? Because it kind of yeah. felt like the Aces in that first game won easily. We talked about it. Like the Aces just kind of, you know, waltzed into the first yeah. game victory. They win game two. This series is over. Like 2-0, you know, most I, – I don't know if we've ever had a team come back from 2-0. Yeah. Uh, maybe they – I think maybe the Aces did it last year. I'm trying to remember. But regardless, it's hard to come back from 2-0. Right. So they lose that game. It's over. And Diana Trousley just st- stepped up and said – we're not losing. It's fine, guys. Don't worry about that possibility because it's not going to happen. That's what the greatest players do. Um, I think, you know, it, one of – if it's not the best, it's in the category of the best Diana Trossi yeah. uh, moments in the playoffs because just – she's hitting everything. And it was so – it must have been so frustrating. I can't imagine playing against a player who's just like, yeah, I'm coming off the screen. And, yeah, you have this hedge, right? Like – Cool. We're going to run the screen 30 feet from the basket. Right. I'm going to come off the screen. You have to go under because you can't go over. 
You can't go over on a screen 30 feet from the basket. Far, yeah. So yeah. you got to go under, and guess what? I'm going to pull it from 29 feet and hit it and get the foul. It's like, I heard it was stunning. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And I think it is, yes, in fact, the best game of Diana Taurasi's uh, career. Yeah. And I love that so many of the, you know, not just NBA players, but WNBA players. Uh, and, you know, I, I just thought that the respect that was oozing all over social media by Dame Lillard saying DT is going off right now. And, you know, he's a 37 foot shooter himself. So he knows um, Steph Curry making comments like there were so many players giving respect to what Diana was doing on the floor. And, you know, I love that. And I know that Tisha Penichero, she said in the past, like, we don't need for the NBA players to validate the WNBA, but it is nice when they do it. Uh, but that doesn't make or break the league. But I, I just think that it's really cool to, to see the NBA players engaged and giving the respect that they do. And you always have to consider the source when comments are made about the WNBA and I'm not listening to someone in their basement typing out negative negativity or negative comments. I'm going with players who are in the trenches of the game and, and respect the game for what it is, regardless of who's playing it. And the fact that they give respect to a player like Diana Taurasi for, you know, the performance that she put on in game two. I mean, I just love to see that. I'd love to see that stuff. And, and the kids love to see it too, because then that's going to continue to plant the seed where it should be planted on the positivity side of what this game means to so many people. Well, and it was, it was cool to see like Holly Rowe is trying to interview <laughs> Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. And I forget, I think it was like Michael Bridges or someone from the Suns. Yeah, they were all there. And she was trying to talk to them and they were just like all locked in on the game. It's yeah, like the like, same thing. Like when someone asks me a question and I'm watching the game, I'm like, <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, yeah, quick, cool. And it was very, it was just cool to see because, like, that's yeah. that's the same way we watch basketball, and exactly. they're watching this basketball because they love it. You know, they're fans. They they want to watch this game and they want to enjoy it, and they want to enjoy a player like DT, like yes. BG, have those dominant performances. Um, so it was cool to see them. And like you said, it, it, they, we don't need their approval, we don't need their attention, but it's nice when they when it's there's really a sim, nice. symbiotic relationship between Absolutely. the teams. Yeah. Suns and Mercury have that. Wizards and Mystics do too. So it's cool yeah. to see. Um, back to the game, though. Yeah. The question, the question. Can Vegas get back into this series? Yes, if they can get Asia Wilson on track because of the balance of the perimeter offensive production. They have to have the balance for Asia Wilson to be able to do what she does best. And that's to get clean touches for clean opportunities to score. And that's not going to happen if shots are continuing not to fall from the outside for Vegas. They have to have a balanced offensive effort and it has to be efficiently done. And it has to be done because of their defensive energy. So it all has to come together for Vegas to advance. Uh, I'm going to go with that's not going to happen. There's a lot of ifs. There are in a lot of statements in question about if they can get it together and, and, if, if the question is, can they get it together? And the answer starts with ifs, I'm not in. I'm yeah. not in. And, and I see it from on the other series. Yeah, I mentioned Connecticut can win. And it's not just because those are close games. Connecticut's, Connecticut's playing better basketball and they yeah. have solutions. Um, they have solutions to, to making that, to fixing the problems that they have. I don't think, I don't think Las Vegas has good solutions. They have low-hanging fruit that they can go get. Like Asia Wilson's going to be better. You know, their guards are going to make some more shots. And hey, maybe that maybe that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Maybe that makes a difference. But 
like I've mentioned throughout this little segment that we're doing on Phoenix Mercury, like on the on Phoenix Aces, is Phoenix did not play well. They right. did not play well, and they beat you by 27 points. And I don't think Phoenix is going to play this poorly. So for Las Vegas to not only get back to, hey, we can get this low-hanging fruit and get back to the point where we're like average and playing mm-hmm. an average basketball – Okay, that's great. You need to get to the point where you're playing great basketball. You're yeah. playing your best basketball of the year. I don't think they can get there. I don't think they have time to make all the changes they need to in order to get baskets at the rim, in order to get threes, in order to get all that movement that they're going to need to beat Phoenix. I don't think that happens. I really don't. Uh, I think BG is just too good right now. I think we've said it on this podcast. I certainly have said it in a bunch of different places. Like when she gets going, she's the most dominant basketball player on yes. earth. Will stop. Yes. Uh, she's getting going. She's getting going. There's no stopping her. I don't think they have a good matchup. I don't see them getting back into it. I think game four is close. I think game four is close. Mm-hmm. But I think the X factor, Phoenix's fans, going to make the difference late in that game. And when it comes to the late in game situation, I love Chelsea Gray. We've called her the most clutch point guard on this podcast. I love Kelsey Plum. She's a dog. She's gonna. She's a hog too. Woo pig, <laughs> kind of. But give me freaking Diana Taurasi. Yeah. Give me freaking Skylar Diggins Smith. Like in those moments, yeah. I want those two rather than what uh, Las Vegas has. So I think they can get, Las Vegas can make it close. I don't think they can win. So do you think that all those ifs are going to happen for you? I, I, I am not sure. I mean, after watching that debacle, really, of only a 60-point performance and, and Phoenix, their ability to score 87 in that game, 87 to 60 game, man, that's that's a lot of, of ground to gain. I, I just think that, you know, for all the reasons that you said, the, the clutch play ability of Phoenix and the many players who can fill that role for them, I just think that is going to get them over the hump um, against a team like Vegas. But I can never really count out a Vegas team with the Chelsea Gray on it. Um, Asia Wilson playing full tilt. Uh, it's it's going to be close, like you said. I don't think it's going to be another blowout in game four. But the advantage, like you said, of, of the home court for Phoenix, I think, will make a huge difference as well. And I just think Phoenix is going to advance. I, I think it's going to be Phoenix in this game. And I, I want Vegas to be better because I've seen them better. So I want them to play better collectively as a unit. But it's just going to be tough to, to beat a team like Phoenix that has the firepower, the experience, Brittany Griner inside playing uh, in one of her best seasons of her career and Turner the X factor that tilts the scale for me for Phoenix. I, I agree. And that's what happens. And then I hope it's not a blowout. I could see if you're asking me a pick, like between aces winning and a Phoenix blowout, I'm picking Phoenix blowout. I'm picking mm-hmm. Phoenix blowout. Cause like, it's not close right now as to who is the better team. It's not like, Oh, you know, Hey, like, you know, the Las Vegas just got off to a really slow start. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. Like, Las Vegas got off to a really slow start. They had a really slow middle and they had a really slow end and they got worked. So I don't see, they got to make up a lot of ground for me to sit here and, uh, and be confident in their chances in that game four. We'll see though. I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, this, this team has a lot of talent. This team has a ton of talent, um, coming for coming on, on Vegas's side. So they could still win it, but 
I don't know. I, it's it's I, tough, Gabe. It's, it's really tough because, I mean, to go back to the beginning of the season and all the prognostication that we were doing and and not just the two of us, but everyone um, that watches and covers the league. I mean, Vegas was picked to be number one, right? And they're picked to win the championship, right? But now here we are, okay? And, you know, so it's not for lack of, yeah, we want the expectations are there for you to be this team. And now it's just up to Vegas to decide how they're going to fill those expectations of themselves, not for us. Like, don't fill our, fill the expectations that you have on yourself collectively as a group and, and see if you can advance uh, in a hostile environment on the road against Phoenix. And obviously after coming off of this game where you have your tail between your legs and you had to walk out of that arena and now you have to walk right back in it and be better to advance and you have to win two more games. So, I mean, I, I'm all for game fives. I want two game fives, but man, the, the cards that we have been dealt terms of uh, watching these games, it's going to be a tough road. It's going to be a tough road for both Connecticut and Vegas and two teams that I think were at the top of a lot of lists at the beginning of this year. And it's, and it's going to be very, very interesting off seasons for both these teams. Yes. Should they lose those game fours? If Connecticut and Vegas lose, yeah. Yeah. the WNBA offseason got a lot crazier. Oh yeah, we can. I can give you a quick run. Let me tell you about what's happening on yes. Las Vegas's cap sheets. Run it, run it. Asia Wilson, restricted free agent. Quana Williams, unrestricted free agent. Then at the top, Liz Cambage, unrestricted free agent. Angel McCautry, unrestricted free agent. That it could be a time for a quick reset in Vegas. You have Asia Wilson, you have Kelsey Plum, you have Jackie Young. You have a good core to build around. You have Chelsea Gray here for another year. Maybe it's time to switch up your style. Like, you know, I understand what Bill Lambeer wants to do, but at some point you have to say, well, it's not maximizing the talent we have because we have a talent like Asia Wilson. We need to maximize her. We need to get her in the spots where she is playing the best. And I don't think personally that is with Liz Cambage next to her as great of a player as Liz is. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Like, it just doesn't, that's not a fit on that side. Uh, then I want to take you, I want to take you to Connecticut where, uh, so Brianne January is an unrestricted free agent. We'll start mm -hmm. with the smaller thing first. Mm -hmm. And John Cole Jones, unrestricted free agent. Hello. You don't want to be losing Hello. short of your expectations no. when your best player is an unrestricted no. free agent. Wow. That's we right. talked about this with Seattle. We did. In our last podcast. Yep. Uh, this is not what you want. So, I, I, I mean... Adds to adds to the whole thing, um, adds to the drama that's going to be on Wednesday night. Uh, hey. That these two teams, I mean, it could be the last time we see them together yeah. as constructed. Um, so we'll see. I mean, Christy, that's 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 all I got. Oh, we forgot to say our social media stuff because oh. I skipped at the beginning. Tell them, Gabe. Tell them. Uh, I'm, I'm at Gabe underscore Ibrahim on Twitter. Uh, you can follow at her hoop stats, uh, for all of our, all of our stuff. We have a great newsletter. We have a great stat site that I've been using like crazy to yeah. bring up, bring some of these stats to you guys. So her at her stats on Twitter, uh, Christy, where can, where can the people find you? On both Twitter and IG, Instagram, at Christy, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y, W. Scott, 
51, all hoops all the time and a little sprinkle of my babies in there too, my three babies. <laughs> but this has been so much fun. We're going to wind this up, Gabe. And yep. it has been such a blast. Listen, these semifinals have been epic to say the least. We're going to continue to bring you all the WNBA playoff action right here. Courtside with Christy and Gabe on the Her Hoop Stats Podcast Network. It has been so much fun. We'll see you guys next time right here on Courtside. Beautiful. Yeah, I don't know how long we went. I know, I know we were talking for a long time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.